Amazing, eh? We're at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. For those of you that have been journeying with us uh, through this past six weeks, we've been working through uh, a guided, guided lesson in Ecclesiastes, this, this kind of thought experiment, so to speak, that the author uh, of Ecclesiastes has walked us through. He, he's challenged us, essentially, folks, to, to put... I'm going to start my timer just for your sake. He's challenged us to put ourselves into the shoes of a king. Into the shoes of a king to look at the world around us through the lens of an old wise king who's accomplished everything possible using an Ecclesiastes phrase under the sun. Essentially, through this thought experiment, he's been asking us to imagine if you were able to accomplish everything that your hearts could possibly desire. Like, you've got the perfect job. You have all the money and possessions any human being could ever dream or want. You have all the friends in the world, and they're great friends. They're not like most friends. They're, 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 like, your social life is amazing. You have all the freedom in the world to do whatever you want to do. The question that the teacher has been asking us throughout the book of Ecclesiastes is, do these things bring lasting satisfaction to your life? Do any of it bring you lasting joy and peace within you? The simple answer found in this book, and probably we could just end it here, is simply this. No. No, it doesn't. There's no material thing, Ecclesiastes says, that you can possibly take with you when you die. And death, says the teacher, is the only guarantee that we have under the sun. It's the only thing that's a sure thing. It's the only thing that is bound to happen that we can't control. And his conclusion, folks, is that Everything we put all of our efforts into actually causes us, I want you to hear me with this because this is a big word that's being used nowadays. It actually causes us more fear and grief and anxiety than we could ever imagine. The teacher in Ecclesiastes says it's all meaningless. Remember that Hebrew word, hevel? That, that life as we know it under the sun is nothing but a vapor, a mist. It's, it's not something that we can grasp or really wrap our heads around or truly understand. In other words, we can't control the outcome. Remember that sermon? We can't control the outcome of much in this world. And we certainly cannot manufacture acceptance and genuine love from seeking wealth, knowledge, status, and power here on earth. It's all hevel, a vapor, a mist, something that we see and it just disappears. Now, at first glance, I'm sure a lot of you, even up to this point, have been like, this book, this book, Ecclesiastes, like, 
it's pretty depressing, right? Like, essentially, it's just saying it's all meaningless. We're just going to die anyway. So what is the point? And when I read Ecclesiastes, it makes me pretty happy that there are other books in the Bible that have a more hopeful tone. I, I don't know about you, but do you join me in that? If I just read Ecclesiastes and I was like, that's what the Bible says. Thus saith the Lord, it's all hevel. I'd be pretty discouraged because I want to find hope, right? I want to find what faith actually means. If everything is meaningless, then why bother with anything at all? It's really, really meaningful, actually. That's the message of Ecclesiastes, and so don't don't miss it. I think the answer to where the teacher is trying to take us. And you have to remember, this was a thought experiment. This was him pondering life as he knew it, all the different ways that he tried to find joy and peace and purpose in life. And here is the conclusion that he comes up with. Like, Ecclesiastes is teaching us one simple but radically profound thing. And it's something that that I think is especially helpful in today's climate. Ecclesiastes is teaching us that fear happens when we pour our hope into elusive things. He says fear happens, or a false fear, which I'm going to get into, when we put our hope in elusive things. When we believe that wealth, power, status, and control are the answer to all of our hope in life, and we end up living our lives by fear. Like, for instance, we fear the loss of control. Welcome to the past year and a half. We fear losing all the things that we've worked so hard for. Ecclesiastes deals with that, doesn't he? We fear that someone or something might be trying to control us, right? And we completely miss what God is doing all around us. We live life so full of false fear that we end up missing all the truly good things of this life here under the sun. So the real question that Ecclesiastes brings to the surface, folks, is simply this. How are we to deal with the unpredictability of life? How many people know that it's a little unpredictable? How do we deal with this unpredictability of life? How do we as human beings wrap our minds around it? Well, our human solution, as Ecclesiastes has said, is to try to control everything. The teacher's solution is found in today's passage and it's wrapped up in one simple sentence. So 12 chapters of a thought experience exploring all these different things in life and it really boils down to one sentence. He says, fear God and keep his commands. He says, because fearing God and living his commands is actually the duty of all mankind. The deepest need of the human heart is to be free from fear and to feel loved, to feel accepted. 
So why on earth would the scriptures tell us? Like, have you ever wondered this? If, if the deepest need of the human heart is to be free from fear, like how many people like to be fearful? So why on earth then is the Bible telling us to fear the one whom the Bible tells us loves us the most? You ever thought about that? Doesn't it, doesn't it just seem weird? After everything that we've learned from this book, and it all boils down to these last two verses, let, let me read you verse 13 and 14. He says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Now, remember, this is the narrator speaking. There's two voices in the book of Ecclesiastes, and so this is the narrator that's speaking. He's wrapping it all up for the teacher. He says, here's the conclusion of the matter. 12 chapters in, it's simply this. Fear God and keep his commands, for this is the duty of all mankind. Now listen to what he says in verse 14. He gives us even more joyful hope here. For God will bring every deed into judgment. Okay, like we know that, right? Including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. So fear God, live his commands. Oh, and by the way, he's going to judge you for everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever done, all the things that are secret that people all around you don't even know. Comforting, eh? How many people are like, yes, I can't wait. Like, this is amazing. I'm supposed to live my life afraid of God so that he will then judge me for every secret I've been keeping all my life. What on earth is going on here? That's the conclusion of the book of Ecclesiastes? That, is that what scripture is actually telling us? Well, that's a super interesting question, and it's exactly the question that I want to explore this morning. You want to go on this exploration with me, or do you want to just go back to worship and we'll pray and we're good to go? I really think this is going to bring life uh, to you, but I think it's going to challenge you too. Because fear is a really tricky thing. Like I said, it's a word that's being thrown out all over the place right now. And I would actually say that every party accusing another party of fear is actually being driven by fear. Fear is a tricky thing because it's something that we all experience. No one is not susceptible to being fearful in one way or another. Because generally we fear anything that we perceive can cause something negative in our lives. That's a really basic way to look at fear. We fear anything that can possibly cause something negative in our lives, or we could broaden it and say in the lives of our loved ones around us as well. And sometimes fear manifests itself as anger. Sometimes it manifests itself as sadness. And other times it's kind of a mixture of both. It can be paralyzing or you can seem competent in the midst of it, but it's all still fear. And the concept of fear, we all live in the reality of. It's just a human experience. And from a biblical perspective, I think the Bible would actually say that human fear is in itself a right feeling, but that the feeling in itself is misplaced. 
placed. So we need to understand what the scriptures teach us about fear and more specifically why the Bible would say that we are to fear God. Now, listen to what the scriptures say in the book of Exodus. So we're going to go back into the Old Testament for a little while. We're going to land in the New Testament. In the book of Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 to 21, it says, when the people saw the thunder and lightning, so Moses has just been given uh, the Ten Commandments. And so God's present with them. And it says, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. Now, how many, how many people would be like, well, yeah. Like they, they literally just saw thunder, lightning, heard the trumpet, like you're hearing things, and they see a mountain covered in smoke and they tremble with fear. You see this all the time in the Old Testament. They stayed at a distance and they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. Now listen to what the people say, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. So Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Put yourself into this setting, right? Moses' response is like, well, don't, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that, now hear this, God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you. Why? To keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So in this narrative, the people are scared. They're full of fear because of the unknown, right? There's stuff happening that they just can't explain. But Moses says, don't be afraid. It's actually good to fear God. Why? Because it will keep you from sinning. Now, I want you to keep that in mind as we move along this morning through all the different passages. We got a lot of scripture to kind of walk through this morning. Listen to what uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He says, don't be afraid. Listen, listen really carefully to this. He's speaking to his disciples. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. What is Jesus talking about here? The fear of the Lord. He's not talking about the devil. Actually, the devil isn't in hell. That's a whole other conversation to have. The devil's here on earth. He's not in hell running things. Uh, listen. <laughs> People can kill your body, but they can't kill your soul. Only God can destroy both. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't fear anything that can't kill your soul, but be afraid of the one who can. Now, both of these, they're pretty serious passages. And tell me, are they exactly how you view God? When I, when I say, you know, what is your main view of God? Most people, especially in Western culture, would be like, oh, he's loving. He's forgiving. 
You wouldn't, you probably wouldn't think of him being the one who can destroy your soul and body in hell, right? That's probably not the first thing that would come to mind when you think of God. And I think today we really don't understand the biblical command to fear the Lord your God. And until we do, frankly, I think we'll always struggle with exactly the kind of fear, the sort of false fear that the teacher in Ecclesiastes has just walked us through over the past 12 verses. Now, in order to kind of unpack this a little bit further, we've got to understand Hebraic thought. How do the Hebrews actually, the ones who are writing this, how do they actually look at the fear of the Lord? So in Jewish thought, the fear of the Lord that Moses was talking about in Exodus is quite literally the standard of their moral conduct. And it's their motivator for living rightly. It's essentially their emotional response to experiencing God's love and learning to place their trust wholly in God, the one true God. They're monotheistic in nature, meaning they only worship one God. Everybody else around them is worshiping many gods. The fear of the Lord to a Hebrew person leads a person to a reverence and true humility, a life of reverence and true humility. Basically, to fear God is to realize that God, this is a simple way to put it, to fear God is to realize that God is God and we are not. That seems like such a basic statement, doesn't it? God is God and we just frankly are not. That, that we, the scriptures say, come from dust. Yet for some reason, this all-powerful God has decided to forgive us, to love us, and to give his son for us. He's made these promises to us, but yet we come from dust. He's God, we are not. When you read the Old Testament or you hear Jesus teach about the Father, they always have one thing in common. God is so much bigger than we are. He is literally the creator of all things, and the fact that he's willing to be present with us should cause us to have a reverent fear of him, a genuine awe of who he is. And Ecclesiastes says that that it's this awe of God that should drive us to live what God has commanded of us. This is actually the entire point of our life here on earth. So when we fear God, we're directing our fear into the right place. We're placing our trust in him because he is present with us always. I know you hear that statement. I'm just not sure you really live it and believe it. Knowing that God is present with us always. That it's not just like a Sunday morning thing or like a prayer closet kind of thing, but that God is part of our everyday life in our every moment of our life. life. The book of Ecclesiastes, folks, it was written in a way that explores life from a very specific perception. I don't know if you noticed this, but Ecclesiastes is writing 
with the perspective of someone that knows God is real, but thinks that God is distant. Like God is kind of up there and we're down here just trying to figure out life, that we're far from God and that we somehow have control over finding happiness in this life. That's the perspective, actually, that the thought experiment in Ecclesiastes is taking. And it's not until the end of the book, the concluding thoughts, that the teacher brings us to the point of understanding where the other wisdom books, remember three wisdom books, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and Job, where the other wisdom books actually start. So to truly understand books of wisdom, you need to embed yourself in the thoughts of Ecclesiastes first to then move into Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, which says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord, in other words, is the beginning of knowing God, yet fools try another path. And it's that other path that Ecclesiastes is exploring, and he moves us to the point of then understanding it's actually the fear of the Lord that begins it all. Wisdom, the biblical kind folks, leads us toward living a life in the presence of God. Not that God is like up here and hovering and watching over and laughing at us, but that God is actually presently active in each of our lives. Life in God's presence is the key to bringing meaning and purpose to our lives. In order to begin a life in God's presence, he says that we need to be in awe of who God is. We need to understand how big God is and how broken we are. This is super basic biblical theology. We see it all over the Old Testament. A great example, uh, you might have heard of him, a guy named Jacob. In Jacob, in Genesis uh, chapter 28, verses 15 to 17, listen to to a snippet of the story here. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. This is God speaking to Jacob in a dream. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Pretty powerful words that he's saying to Jacob. Now, listen to the narrative here. Don't miss this. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, so God's speaking to him in a dream, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. So this is Jacob, right? Like a really important biblical character who we would see as holy and righteous and all of those fancy Christian words, right? And he is like needing God to speak to him in a dream for him to go, oh my goodness, God's actually here. I wasn't even aware of it. And what does it say? He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There is none other than the, this is none other than the house of God This is the gate of heaven. So Jacob becomes aware of God's presence. 
This, the reaction to being aware of God's presence is that he's afraid. And being afraid, what did it cause? Him to give praise and to worship God. Now, a, a little side note, interesting thing here. If you know anything about Hebrew, the word that's translated awesome really doesn't mean awesome. There is no Hebrew word for awesome. That's like totally us, right? Everything to us is awesome. Do you know what the Hebrew word that's used here is probably better rendered in a more literal sense? Terror. So that means how terrifying is this place would be a more literal version of what Jacob is saying. Our culture doesn't like this, right? Because we think of fear, we think of terror, we think, I need to get rid of all of that in my life. And the Bible says you do in some ways. I'll unpack that as we move along. Jacob recognizes essentially his smallness and the fact that he falls short of God. This is what makes Jacob aware of his sin. You see, if we go about living life and we actually are like, you know, God's just kind of up there doing his thing and like my judgment day is a long ways away, got no problem, I can kind of just do my thing. It doesn't cause us to be aware of our sin. So what you see in your life is subtle sin and that's what Ecclesiastes is getting at here. Which kind of brings me to my next point. Fearing God is what establishes humility. And the Bible talks a lot about our need for humility. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 4. Humility, listen to what it says, humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. The key to finding life, Scripture says, is through humility, but humility can only be found through the fear of the Lord. That's what Proverbs is trying to tell us, folks. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Whenever we live life aware of God's presence with us always, and we understand just how big, how holy, and how amazing God actually is, we live in a reverent awe of him. Then, in turn, this leads us to understand that pridefulness is foolishness, and humility is the only pathway to a life with God. This is how fear helps us to maintain our relationship with God. Now, Proverbs says that the beginning of our relationship starts by fearing God, that that's the beginning of a relationship with Christ is by fearing God. And we read that, that, we read that all over the place in the Bible, don't we? But listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 25, verse 14. He says, the Lord confides in those who fear him. So folks, if it says the Lord confides in those who fear him, it also means the Lord does not confide in those who don't. That would be logical, wouldn't it? He makes his covenant known to who? 
to those who fear him. So the fear of the Lord is a synonym of the love of the Lord. In Hebrew thought, folks, the fear of the Lord and God's love are literally inseparable. They can't exist without the other. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 to 13, he says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God? to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today. Why? For your own good. Folks, this passage tells us exactly how we are to express our love for God and in turn how he loves us. You see, perfect love has at the middle of it a deep, reverent fear. And this perfect love with this deep, reverent fear, it casts out all the false fears in our lives. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And because of this, he knows exactly what kinds of things that that will pull us away from him and drive us toward destruction. Like, for instance, things like chasing after our identity outside of his creation. All the things that the book of Ecclesiastes explores and comes to the conclusion of it all being hevel. In verse 8 of chapter 12, the last words of the teacher, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. He starts the book with that and he ends the book with that. It's the narrator who takes us to the conclusion. Chasing the wind, seeking all the things of the book of Ecclesiastes is hevel. And this is why God wants us to have a reverent fear of who he is knowing that he knows all of our thoughts and that he knows everything about us. My wife knows me the best, and that scares me. Think about how well God knows me. We have this kind of like messed up understanding of God's love. We think that God's love is safe. We think that love in general is safe. The love of God gives us, like what he gives us in loving us is not a safe love. It's a holy love. It's actually kind of pretty severe. So severe that God loves us so much that he gave his son up for us. And the cross, I don't know, you might agree with me, you might not, but the cross, like it's not safe. It's radical. It's radical. And it should, if we take it serious, drive us to fear the creator and to cause us to love him back. Now this brings me to my final point and conclusion for this morning. Fear, fearing God, drives us to live a life of obedience. Remember he says, fear God, Live the commands. Genesis 22, verse 12. 
do not lay a hand on the boy. He's talking to Abraham. So he's asked Abraham to take the life of his eldest son. And so Abraham, in obedience, goes and he does this. And we're right in that pivotal moment, you know, the climax of the story where it's like, dun, 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 you know, and God shows up, the lamb's over here. Don't lay a hand on the boy, he says. Do not do anything to him. No, now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Folks, do we withhold things from God? In the thought experience of Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes says we love to withhold things from God. We love to think that all of these things are ours instead of the creator, right? We shrink God down to like a Sunday morning. God asked Abraham to literally give up his son and Abraham was willing to live in disobedience. This is the kind of obedience that we're called to, even though he probably didn't understand any of it. Don't think that these biblical characters were like, oh, I get it. Like I told you, they're, they're just as lost as we are, folks. But he did it anyway. How many times have you been asked to do something by the Lord and you hummed and hawed about it for a while? You see, God calls us to live in his presence, completely, hear me, completely trusting him in all things. All things. The teacher in Ecclesiastes, he took us on a thought experience. It was fun to me. It might not have been fun to you. I don't know. But he asked very simple questions. What if... We try to find meaning, hope, happiness, and purpose in life outside of God. Is it possible? That's essentially what Ecclesiastes is asking. And his conclusion is simple. Nope. No, it's not possible. A life away from God ends up being full of pride, greed, anxiety, stress, and fear. The kind of fear that is misguided, listen to me, The kind of fear that's misguided because it's driven by our worry of how something might affect us. That's false fear. The teacher's conclusion is simple. You will only be able to live in freedom, freedom from stress, freedom from anxiety and fear if you learn to fear the Lord your God to love him and to trust him first and to live your life in his presence each and every moment under the sun. So we need this deep awareness of his presence and then a a feeling of awe that surrounds that presence. That's the state in which our posture should be in all of our life. And through, although I would say that, that, that Solomon's thought experience was a bust, Because God controls all time, us human beings don't. Remember that sermon? 
but if we convince ourselves otherwise, we're living in a lie that leads us to disaster. So if we think we can control time, that we can control these different things, the Bible says your life leads to disaster because it lacks a fear of the Lord. Live in awe of the creator of the heavens and earth. Don't get caught up. Listen to me, folks. I'm pleading with you right now. Don't get caught up in the things of this world. Let me ask you this simple question. How much time do you spend watching the news, reading the newspaper, or watching YouTube compared to the amount of time you spend praying and reading scripture? The best thing pastorally that I can say to you right now is the majority of your spare time should be reading scripture and being on your knees with Jesus right now. Not watching YouTube or the news or the latest thing that's going on because all of that is currently divisive and doesn't bring unity. The only thing that can bring us unity is for us to function in the fear of the Lord, saturating our lives in his presence and having him speak to us through his word. But what's happening in the Christian church today? We're putting this over here and we're turning on YouTube instead. And we're following all of that stuff. Our fear, our worries, it's all driven by an illusion that we can control the outcome. Instead of worry and fear, focus, focusing itself instead, redirecting the worry and fear into the awe of our creator. Receiving the love of Jesus through his willingness to suffer and die for each of us. You see, this is the conclusion of the teacher. I tried that thought experiment. In my life, I lived all these different things. And the only way to find peace is to fear God to live life the way God calls us to because you will stand before the Father and give an account of everything you do anyway. Accept the freedom that God offers and live his commands. Now, it's really simple, folks. What are his commands? In the Old Testament, that gets super complicated. Jesus simplifies it all for us, Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. This is it. This is what it all boils down to. He says, this is, this is in reverent fear. This is how you are to live your life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is a really strong statement, folks. It means that that's where our heart needs to be focused. He says, this is the first and greatest command. So if we're going to live his commands, he's saying, focus your heart on Jesus. And second is like it. So what is the posture in which we take as Christians when we're placing God at the center of our lives? Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. The teacher, he, he's got it figured out in Ecclesiastes. He led us through the experiment and he lands on this simple thing. Live your life in God's presence in reverent awe of him. So you want to be delivered from fear, this fear that we talk about today? 
if you want to be free from all this unity and this judgment and this anger that our world is saturated with, then place your trust in Jesus. And I'm begging you, church, place your trust in Jesus. Be in awe of who he is and live every moment of your life in awe of him. Not just some moments, not just your my daily bread moment, but every single moment aware that God is present with us, active and actively pointing us toward his son, Jesus Christ. The teacher says in Ecclesiastes to find true life here under the sun is only found in the awe of God. Trust. Placing our trust for all things into Jesus' hands. The scripture says to take his yoke. Come on up here, Travis. To take his yoke upon you and to find rest. Then live from this place of rest by living with a big, big God. God who wants to know you, who already knows you, but wants you to let him into your life in every moment. Folks, this past while, I have to be honest, like when people say to me like, oh, you're, you're a Christian pastor, I'm like, nope. I'm not associated with that at all. Now, why, why on earth would I say that? Because we're being horrible. We're caught up in all of these things of the world right now and we're fighting with other Christians and with not Christians and we've completely lost our witness in the world because we have lost our awe of who he is. And so I'm begging you, everything in your life that you think you've worked for is God's. So give it to him. Every news headline, it's God's, give it to him. You think that somehow he's not over all of these things? He's the creator of all things. And he's present, living in each of us. And so respond by loving God and loving your enemies, loving your neighbors. We stand as we just spend a little bit of time to reflect on what scripture has just told us as we sing this song.